you aspire to be a superintendent, you think you know what the job might be like, but you may not really know. Bring together like-minded people. As well as organizations that are supporting school systems. And they bring the problem of practice with a group of people to talk through it, and then with vendors who provide solutions. And when you think about the notion of getting better, a lot of times people think that you're sick, but you don't have to be sick to get better. Having either that trusted network of colleagues when you're in practice or prior to practice becomes really important. That's what IAI does. Brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation where like-minded, hard-working professionals come to listen, learn, and connect. This week on Education Thought Leaders. We kick off Season 3 of Education Thought Leaders live from ASU GSV. The rescheduled ASU GSV is happening August 9 through 11 in San Diego. My co-host is Eric Westendorf, founder, CEO of a new company called Corsello, founder of LearnZillion. I'm also joined by Dr. Mark Rothschild, CEO of Right at School, and Monica Brady-Myroff, CEO of ListenWise. Glad to be back. All right, welcome back to Education Thought Leaders. I'm here with my good friend, Eric Westendorf, who is a former teacher, former principal, former founder, well, the founder and former CEO of LearnZillion, and is now starting Porcello. And I'm so happy for you, and thanks for coming to co-host with me today. Absolutely, it's great to, great to be here. So let's, let's talk about what's going on with Corsello first. Uh, here we are in another ASU GSV, yeah. which feels weird to be here in August, but whatever. Um, but tell us what's going on with your new venture. So I'm incubating a new, a new company called Corsello. The focus is on small group, online, dual enrollment courses for high schoolers taught by expert teachers slash adjuncts at a price districts can afford. Dual enrollment, college, and school. Exactly, so okay. students who take a Corsello course will get both credit towards their high school diploma as well as credit that is transferable so they can use when they go to college. Like AP? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, similar to AP. With AP, the difference is AP doesn't get you credit. The score you get on the AP test in some cases will translate to credit at the, sort of, depending on the university. Got it, so this is like legit, I mean, it, who's the target student here? So the target student, I mean, ultimately, we're interested in sort of all students uh, having another option. Right now, you have the option of AP. In some cases, you have the option of community college, dual enrollment courses. Right. Yep. But we think there's, re we're excited about providing another option because we think there are some limitations on community college dual enrollment as okay. well as AP. So like with community college, the big limitation is logistics. Uh, how do you can you actually make this college course fit in your schedule? And and even when you can, there's going to be varying quality at that community college, really dependent on who that professor happens to be. With AP, the limitation is, does the district even offer an AP of that course? And right. is there a teacher who is not just uh, qualified to teach it, but excited to teach it? And, you know, AP skews towards learning a lot of facts um, right. and sort of equating rigor it's an old with pedagogy. It's, right. yeah and they're trying to they're trying to adapt but what what we want to do is provide an alternative that ensures every time that the pedagogy is discussion based that you're spending most of your class time having a seminar with other students mm -hmm. in a small group yeah. uh, having a debate doing 
philosophy chairs, which is a hybrid debate seminar, and having an instructor who is facilitating that and promoting that discussion, but also who is expert in the, in the subject area. And you're writing all the content? Yeah. All yep. homegrown? Yeah. Right? Yep. That's a big undertaking. Yeah. It's a lot yeah. of content to write. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to do it right alongside the, the professors that we hire to teach the courses. So, cool. Okay. Yeah. So and then the idea is over time, those courses get better and better because as you're having students go through it, you're looking at what's their feedback. Were they really engaged in the seminars? Which, which conversations were set up in such a way where they so into it and all, all six of your teammates were just like in the zone versus yeah. ones that fell flat? And then how do we adjust those ones that fell flat? So the courses just keep optimizing around real engagement and, and high quality and meaningful content. The customer is a school district? Mostly? Yeah. yeah, we'll also have some at-large courses available to parents, uh, sort of yeah. separate, Consumer, but, yeah. but the main focus is on school districts because basically we realized that there was, there was a need for another option, and also there's a teacher shortage crisis. So, uh, you know, I talked about AP and community college. In a way, those problems are getting worse, especially on the AP side, yeah. because you're less likely to have a qualified teacher, and so you're a school that wants to provide... Um, experiences for your students that are high quality, but you simply are constrained by your human capital under that roof. And yeah. so in this day and age where Zoom exists, we should not be constraining the options for learning that students have based on their zip code or which high school happens to have a physics teacher and which yeah. ones doesn't. You, you ought to be able to access high yeah. quality from anywhere. So regional agencies, county offices, BOCES, ESCs have been trying to offer, you know, regional course offerings online. And yeah. I think some of them are doing it with yeah. with success, but it requires so many different people and systems to partner That's and right. team up. That's right. You know? That's right. It's much I mean, easier to bring something to one district, implement it, right? It sounds like you're gonna you're gonna do the out, coordination of the outside resources. Yeah. Right. You show up at the district, be like, here you go, here's boom. The, We've already packaged it and made this really simple so that you can just if you, if, you, if you like it, you can just go and be guaranteed it's going to be a high-quality experience. Look, being a leader, as, as you very well know, because you get to interact with amazing soups all the time, it is like five-dimensional chess. I mean, it is so yeah. complex running a system. Yeah. And the idea that we're now going to layer on to every school district a whole other branch, which is like provide stand-up virtual courses at the same time that it's really hard to do it in a brick and mortar setting right. to begin with. We've also asked them to start being healthcare providers. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Mental health Food, providers. like everything. Yeah. So right. you can't just pile on another yeah. thing. And so the idea for Corsello is we're going to take that piece, do it really well by also uh, creating a distributed workforce of amazing expert teachers and adjunct professors yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily have locally available. And yeah. we're going to package that in a simple way and bring it to you on behalf of your kids and you sign them up and they're put in teams of six and away they go doing a semester-long course that's really, really, really engaging. So is it regional or state-specific? Like, I'm a district in Wisconsin. You work with the University of Wisconsin so that my course is giving kids credit just in that system? Or is it like a couple community colleges then get scaled nationally? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more the latter. What's interesting is we're going to work with the um, ACE. Uh, uh -huh. yep. And so they'll 
enable us to offer credits. What we yeah. want to focus on is the receiving of the credits as opposed to the giving of the credit. We can work with ACE and maybe one partner to provide a transcript and provide, but the question is how do you line up in every state? So in Wisconsin, yeah. enough colleges that say, you know what? We've vetted this, and if a student we'll comes to us, we will accept it because we get okay. that this is high quality. That so, part might be harder. Yeah, it's going to be challenging, seems, right? But there's some things, there's some reasons that colleges are likely to be more open to this than they have historically. Yeah. Um, and I'll give you two. One is that they face a demographic cliff in terms of enrollment. 2025 is. 17, what, 17 years after, no, no, I haven't done the math, but 2008, the Great Recession, we saw far fewer babies being born, right? And right. there's been a decline since then. So colleges who depend for their business on enrollment see that they're facing real enrollment challenges. They're also facing new competitive threats, like new options sure. for getting credit, like Outlier, right? That's offering something yeah. at a really low price point. So how are or they... Or just people not going to college, right? Yeah, or people not going. So how do they um, ensure that there is recruitment, innovative yeah. recruitment, for so students know what they offer? So that's actually something that Corsello will provide, that when you decide that you will receive courses, we will make prominent the fact that you are going to receive those, and yeah. that is a real benefit to the university because now you're front of mind to students, let's say, mm -hmm. taking right. this in Wisconsin. They're like, oh, I know that that yeah. college right. is going to take this and therefore I'm going to consider going there in a way that I wouldn't have right. before. So there's an opportunity to actually partner with colleges in ways that solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And also because we're going to be so focused on quality where in the past online courses vary in quality, but we're gonna be yeah. sort of a gold standard around like discussion-based small group, like really ideal quality mm -hmm. that we can come in and say, look, you can feel really good about accepting this from the academic point of view, and you can feel really good on the business side too, because it's gonna help with your enrollment. So yeah. like, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's get this done. I don't know if you've gotten this far yet, but do you think districts will license a platform, have access to a bunch of courses, or will they enroll? You know, tuition, you know, tuition each student that wants in. Yeah, I think the initial model will be per student per course. Yeah. But I could imagine evolving over time where we actually are doing enough courses with districts that it makes sense to do some bundled subscription where, you know, yeah, right. you, you just it's a a la carte and and you can or a buffet, you can yeah, sort of right. have what you want. Um, so, but that's, you know, uh, that'll be fun to work on when we get to that point. Yeah, exactly. So, um, when LearnZillion sells, you're sitting there, your baby is no longer your baby. Like, mm. at that moment, did you think, I'm definitely starting another one of things? One no, of no, 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 no. When, what was when that I, crossroads like? Yeah, I mean, really, when I sold LearnZillion, um, I anticipated staying with LearnZillion. This was a new... Right chapter and suddenly we were going to be in a place where we had resources and more sales support and marketing yeah, support. Right. So I was, you know, quite excited about continuing to lead Learnsillion in this next chapter. Yeah. You know, I think I had never worked in a large company before and there were things that I did really appreciate about it, but I also after 10 months started to feel like I want to invent and yeah. I Interestingly, even though I was suddenly in a company with more resources, um, 
that there was also, you know, there's just more, there has to be in any big organization, yeah, right. bureaucracy, there has That's to be. Yeah. And so I realized that, you know what, I really like um, being on the front end where there aren't mm -hmm. processes and you can just try things out and experiment and talk to lots of people and you know now I have experience raising money so I didn't feel like that was the constraint I think yeah. often it's sort of like how would I even pay for this but having gone around the block once I felt like oh I know how to do it and I actually like raising money so that shouldn't be a reason not to do something and so if I'm yeah. energized by the idea of creating something new I should I should do it so, so yeah once you thought you might move on from ingenuity there and it was immediately I'm going to start something new or was there a thought like I might you know go get a job somewhere or hang out a bit or uh yeah no I I was feeling it's interesting because there's a part of me that's like is something a little wrong with me it's like you know Sisyphus <laughs> going back to the bottom of the mountain yeah. and being like okay I, now I I'm going to push reflection. the boulder but yeah yes but I just didn't um I found myself getting up in the morning and feeling excited and like energized by the idea of starting from scratch. And yeah. I, I, I realize that can seem really weird, but I just, it just is what it is. And I was yeah. like, I'm someone who has at every phase followed what my gut is energized by. Yeah. And that's just what it was. There's probably a bunch of stuff that you can do better that you learned from last time. Well, that's the thing also. It really it's isn't like shot. Sisyphus going to the bottom. It really is like, I look, nine years, you, it's a roller coaster ride. And there are yeah. things that um, I had no pattern recognition about. Yeah. And everything was just like, holy cow, how is it? And now I feel like, oh, I, I know what this looks like. And, and there's also a level of like, when you start something, you kind of fake it till you make it. And you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm just going to like, now that I've done it, it feels, it's still always like fake it till you make it. But there's now a sense of like, you know what, I, I, trust myself more like I can yeah. do this I like building teams I like working with just great folks they like working with me I like creating meaning I like creating products I like thinking about products and strategy and I'm you know and I'm getting better at it and so I yeah. might as well build off of that momentum instead of shutting it all down and being like I'm done yeah. you know um, last question just because we bring entrepreneurs and superintendents and other leaders on here and I think it's always helpful for people to understand how this process works like what so you say when you get, we were talking about pricing models before, when you get to that point. So we're at uh, day one or so, right? We're in the first six months of your process. Um, how long, what happens next? How long until you think you're putting Corsello into districts? So my current hypothesis for a timeline is to be ready by the spring semester to do one pilot course in one district. So really small, not be out there like yeah. just for learning. This school year. Yeah, this school year. And okay. then by next fall to be in a place where we have five courses that can be in multiple school districts. Yeah. Although we're gonna be really selective about that too. We're not just gonna like swing the doors open. The goal is, is first, for us to learn so that we're really mm -hmm. feel like we're starting at a really strong foundation of driving yeah. discussion-based right. learning and understanding what is challenging about that and like what translates to different courses, what doesn't. And so that's like first and foremost. But this, then the second thing is from a fundraising perspective, mm -hmm. raising right now just enough money to get me sort of uh, into next fall. 
So to get those five courses out there and to show improve something that I believe there will be, which is an appetite for this, that, yeah. that, that folks want high quality experiences for their kids and they yeah. need the flexibility of online. And right now, most of the online courses are uh, very in quality and are not mm -hmm. trustworthy in quality. So, and are also not discussion based. So yeah. I, or they're, but they're I want to validate that, right? right. Like, yeah, you do everything in this exactly, online. or it's like a virtual which school, is, yeah. Which is, you know, yeah, a model that's fine. That some there's are a, adopting. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there, there's a place for that for sure. The, uh, what I want to be able to show is that there's a really strong appetite for the approach we'll have, and then be in a place where a year, more than a year from now, so let's say next October of 2022, that I could raise a much bigger round and really like hit the gas on the whole thing. So okay. like yeah. nail it. And then scale it. Well, I happen to know a group of really awesome superintendents who might want to absolutely think well, this through with you. So. I, well, I mean, I will say, Doug, that I, I've been talking up IEI while I've been at this conference because um, they're an interesting portrait in contrast. And having just been at the one in Asheville, this the sort of setting of what was there eighty folks there around eighty folks? Oh, was like 80, 125 there. Oh, See, well, that's interesting, <laughs> right? Spouses. Yeah, but it felt intimate, right? So, if yeah. anything, to me, it felt smaller than the hundred twenty-five. Yeah. Because you're creating this community where there is especially trust and respect among the soups, and so they're talking about what are the things that are keeping them up at night. What is yeah. like? What's the headache problem? And that kind of setting where you get that authentic discussion. That, that is the source, in my mind, of innovation and product ideas yes. because it starts with a real problem and set of problems and they're pulling into their lives the best solutions that currently exist, but what if there could be a better solution that better helped them get that particular job done or solve that particular problem? Yeah. So there's so much, in my mind, value in a setting like an IEI conference. It, it, look, it has a different purpose. A ASU GSV is all about like, at how do you meet as many people as possible right. in as short a time? It's a, yeah. like a complete efficiency game, and that has an important purpose. Yeah, but the purpose, for in my mind, for IEI is to actually create a setting in which what bubbles up is like innovative ideas that come out of the real lived problems yeah. of right now. And you so, you just yeah. Did a commercial. Appreciate yeah, that. well, I, I've been talking about it also with other oh, companies thanks. because. Yeah. I think you've also found a balance where it's not a transactional thing. It's not about going and whining and dining soups. It's a learning opportunity. It's actually about soups, like actually uh, talking about, what, like, yeah, what keeps them up and have, building relationships with, with vendors who are not just vendors, but yeah. who actually want to solve problems on behalf of districts. And so I think that's, oh, I think that's important, but not easy to do, actually. Like, yeah. it could easily become transactional, and I think you've you know, through your own vision for it, figured out how to strike a balance that seems really healthy and productive. So anyhow, well, you didn't, you, since you can't say these things about your product, I, I can and uh, just appreciate it. So thanks. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for being here today. We're going to talk to Monica Brady Meyer off next. Awesome. So sit right. here with me and let's, let's chat with her about ListenWise. Great. And good luck with Corsello. Yeah. Thanks so much. Doug. Okay. All right. Here we are. Education thought leaders on the road at ASU GSV. Good to see everybody here. Eric and I are joined by Monica Brady-Meyeroff from ListenWise. How are you, Monica? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. So you've got an exciting thing you're announcing here. Yes, I have brought my book with me, Listen Wise, Teach Students to Be Better Listeners. It's the definitive book on how to use audio in education with K-12 students and beyond. 
you know, the, I think the case for listening is growing, as is the interest in podcasts and how to use that exciting new media in the classroom. So. Yeah, I'm an absolute hack, and I have a podcast, so <laughs> exactly <laughs> anyone and can do it. You are one of 1.5 million podcasts, Doug. I know. Over the pandemic year, 500,000 right? new podcasts is that right? were launched. Oh, yes. my goodness. All right, so let the record reflect that I started mine a year before the pandemic. Okay, duly noted. But I'm still a hack. Um, <laughs> but anybody doubting that we're in San Diego, the seagulls, you can hear the natural sort of milieu here. Um, yeah. So when I do this from the office, like buses drive by, like it's a very low tech. <laughs> what they can't do is they'll feel the breeze coming off the back. That's right. so <laughs> pleasant. Beautiful. So yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Trust us. So how are things going at Listen Wise, Monica? What's They're happening for you guys this year? Yeah, great. Good. I mean, we are seeing explosive usage and growth and a lot of commitment from our regular users to use us more. Um, it's been a really good year. I hate to say it, you know, and the pandemic finally was that tipping point with the digital adoption ed tech, um, you know, the ed tech surged. So we are, like many other ed techs here, um, experiencing really explosive growth, so it's good. Yeah, working nationally. Yeah, nationally. We have got some overseas customers. We have we are we are um, often used by bilingual ed coordinators at the district level. Bring us in because listening is a crucial part of learning a new language. Yeah. So all these teachers who have a lot of ELs in their class, growing population, they need to be able to differentiate for them, and listening is a great way to do it. How big is your team now? We are twelve. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Very good. Um, I remember so small world moment. Eric and I are college friends. But Monica, I met your sister, we all live in San Francisco, and she'd be like, oh, let's check out NPR in the morning. You can hear my sister, <laughs> right, from Boston, right? She made you listen to me? That's no, great. you just oh, come on, you know, that's yeah. what we had on in the morning. So do you, uh, I know that you're, talk about how your broadcast experience brought you here. And, yeah, you know. well, 20 years as a reporter for NPR and public radio, yeah. and I, just a deep love of audio, everything audio. and. Um, it was that love that made me realize how great audio storytelling is, mm-hmm. and yet it, it kind of, you know, you'd hear it once on the radio in the morning, and that was it, and they were just locked up in these archives that nobody, it was very hard to access. And yet I knew teachers loved it, because every time I took my kids to school, they'd say, I heard your story this morning, or I heard a story on this, I heard a story on that. And then as another confluence of events, my third grade daughter was struggling to read, and they couldn't diagnose exactly what it was, sort of a garden variety, poor yeah. decoder, Yet she could understand everything she heard on public radio right. because mm. she was listening every morning with me and I just occurred to me that if I had given her that s- the script, she could not read it. So I said to her teacher, can I bring in audio stories and see how your students respond? And that was the beginning of ListenWise. Wow. So now we're awesome. K-12. So it was more realizing through your daughter mm-hmm. that if she was listening and getting meaning from it in spite of the challenges she was having that likely students would 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 like this yes. and that led you to ask the teacher whether you could sort of test that hypothesis exactly I, and and what i also realized is even if they're not struggling readers these are great stories they really capture you and since starting ListenWise, I've learned so much about the science of listening. And in the book, I talk all about the neuroscience of what happens in your mind. You make a movie in your mind. You're, you're activating so many parts of your brain while listening, more than while you're reading. Because when you're reading, you're, you're trying to decode the word from the page. So there's that barrier to the imagination of hearing the seagulls in the background. Yeah. You're yeah. feeling, you know, we feel the breeze. It's a really full sensory experience. So I realized it's not just about struggling readers, that listen wise is for everyone. Yeah. 
-hmm. It's been interesting. So I've got three children, and they have all so enjoyed listening to stories, whether it's my wife Shoshana reading it to them or uh, like listening to it on Audible. They just... Uh, it it does seem like for them it's a different experience and a more it's, pleasurable one. Yeah, it's well, it's a fundamental building block of reading too. In the simple view of reading, it's decoding and language comprehension, and under language comprehension is listening. So it's sort of understood that like you can't learn to read unless you listen, and you can't learn to speak another language unless you listen. But very few people understand that listening is a skill that you can improve. And that just because you listen your whole life doesn't mean you're a good listener. Yeah. You actually have to work at it. Yeah. How does that apply then to like other disciplines? Like you just used the example of learning how to read as well as learning another language. But what about learning biology or learning? Is there also, could you extend that idea and say like listening is fundamental to fluency in any discipline? Yes. You Listening is fundamental to content knowledge, is what you could say. So if you look at the WIDA standards, they recently really, they recently changed it to be about language and content, and listening to language that has to do with the content, instead of just language for language sake. So when you, when you introduce a story um, through listening, you're able to introduce much higher level vocabulary. Um, students can listen two to three grade levels higher than they can read. Up until like the eighth or ninth grade, like your listening comprehension outpaces your reading. And then if you're an English learner, same thing, your listening comprehension is much better. Mm -hmm. So use that to do it, read it, listen to a story on yes. biology. So one of our stories is about ocean acidification. And the story is about going on a boat with the shell fisherman, hearing him shucking the shell, the oysters and saying, they're not, the seed isn't growing well because the ocean is getting uh, more acidic. And then she speaks to a scientist about it. It's not gonna teach you the whole lesson on acids to bases, right. but it's going to make you care yeah. because it's about something you can identify with. Well, and it sounds like also it's starting to equip you with vocabulary, terminology, context, that then when you're doing the particular lesson or reading is more likely to stick. Exactly, and that's key in learning, right? Getting those concepts, right. getting that challenging academic vocabulary. Right. And boy, NPR stories, which we have as, as well as other podcasts, they have so many academic words, so many. Right. For, for yeah. a regular listener, just washing What listening over level you. are they supposed to be at? Well, that's a good question. The listening level, we, we helped Metametrics develop an audio measure of the level. Did you? So oh, yeah, yeah, we were oh, their research partner. So now on our site, you could look at a story about the ocean acidification and see it's a 1470, right. similar to like a text level, but it's, yeah. it's yeah. not. It's mm -hmm. on the same scale, but they're not completely, um, they don't overlap, but it's similar. Um, the idea is then to look at the grade range and say, well, that's an eighth grade range for listening. Yeah. And it's going to have a higher level of vocabulary, more complex syntax. But it also takes into account pausing, yeah. rate of speech. It's a fascinating measure because nobody's ever measured audio before to figure that wow. out and that's say, great. this story is more difficult to listen to than that story. Yeah. What's also interesting about this is Often one of the challenges with reading is that if a student's at a level below what cognitively they're capable of, you get stuck with like tr using a third grade text with a fifth grader and then it becomes boring because yeah. they're ready for more. But basically what you're saying is when it comes to listening, this is inverted. That it actually is. you can go higher and therefore like 
even more fully engage them intellectually. Yeah, even age if, appropriate. Yeah, 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 which seems like mm-hmm. such a opportunity. Yeah, I mean, the way I think of it, too, is if you have that um, fifth grader who's struggling with reading and you're using a Lexile text level, you're going to level down, right? Mm -hmm. And the content isn't the same. What we do is the listening is the same. They will all listen to the same story, but we will support them with an interactive transcript, or they can slow the audio, or they get previewed vocabulary. And in the end, though, they're all listening to the same thing. So I view it as an equalizer in learning. Uh, it's a kind of text that can be common and is more likely to resonate with the majority, if not all the students, right. whereas that's a really difficult thing when it's a written text. Yeah. And the stories, and so from my background in public radio, I knew, like, there's a story on everything. There's a story on biology. There's a story on World War II. There's a, there's a firsthand account of everything that's happened or a new discovery about ancient... Um, DNA discovered in a tooth in some caveman. So it's a matter of finding those that are related to the curriculum they're teaching and then what we do is package it with easy to use lessons so that it's not just the story and the teacher has to figure it out, it's the story and everything else around it that they need to teach. Alright, so So what's what's the model? I mean, ten years ago at this event you know, not to throw ASU under the bus, but at this event we heard that the future was playlists of videos, right? Mm. Right, and now that's clearly not the future. Um, but audio has been, people have been telling stories forever. Um, what's the model? You know, we have a lot of superintendents who listen to this. What, what's the model for your partnerships with districts? How does it work? Um, how do you integrate with other stuff? You know, what kind of districts are you looking to work with? Yeah, we're looking to work with, um, I, th- I mean, listening is for everyone, first right. of all. But if you're a superintendent in, a, in one of the 22 states that tests listening on the high stakes exam, uh, okay. You need to be training your students to practice their listening muscle and strengthening it and in building their listening stamina. And um, so 22 states, including California, Indiana, Washington, um, Texas is considering adding listening for the gen ed population. And it's in the ELA portion of the test. It often makes up 15 to 20% of the ELA score. So this is something that superintendents need to be paying attention to because if you're not practicing what a listening activity feels like, sounds like, how students should use it, you're, yeah. you're di- they're at a disadvantage. Okay. So we have multiple choice online listening quizzes that go with every okay. audio too, and that's a great way to practice it. So, you know, it's, it's about just incorporating it once or twice a week. It's content aligned. You know, we... we it's we, a supplemental curriculum It's resource. a supplemental curi- curriculum resource that you can subscribe to for your school or district. Right. It's uh, get Google Classroom enabled, right. LMS friendly, all Class those... ClassLink, SSO. Yeah, SSO with um, Clever, ClassLink, all LMSs Good. we can link into. Great. And we do... Teachers apps smash us a lot with a Newzella or Common Lit mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Flipgrid, all those, all those things. But cool. it's easy because we have thousands of stories that relate to what they're teaching. So it's a matter of saying, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to give my students uh, the giver to read next week. Let's listen to an interview with Lois Lowry and why she wrote oh, the book, a motivation. Such a That's cool. You're sourcing content, building content? We're sourcing all of it. It's all out there. 1.5 right. million podcasts. <laughs> right. And NPR. NPR is our biggest partner and other public radio, but we're growing even more on the podcast side because there's such yeah. great stuff out there. So you're hearing 
firsthand from people who've experienced events. Yeah. That's the, the other cool do thing. Just, is, I'm sorry, do they have to yeah. pay for the content or is it just included? They pay for the subscription to ListenWise. It's yeah. a it's an online source. They don't it's not a download, it's just a you know, it's an online platform. Student, but there's no upcharge for no, this content or that. No, nope, no, nope, not Do at you all. have it's to online. deal with IP issues like when you source from yes. That's what I was yeah. yeah, we it's all rights cleared. It's all screened for appropriateness. Okay. Um, there's no advertising. Yeah. It's all, it's hosted on our platform, so it's safe. It's been vetted by our curriculum team, yeah. and it all has an interactive transcript. So every single audio is oh, supported crazy. by a transcript because research uh, yeah. shows that yeah. improves comprehension, reading yeah. accuracy, fluency, all this great stuff. Let me ask you a tough one that we're wrestling with right now. So, um, in our in our summer events, we heard a lot of just frustrated superintendents talking about how they don't really know what to do when a bunch of people come to a board meeting and tell them that they're teaching critical race theory, right? Or come and tell them that masks are unsafe. They don't know what to do, right? These are amazing, I think, amazing people, but good people who want to do the best for kids. And when adults are bringing these things up, they're not really relevant to anything they're doing in their day to day, it's tough. And so we're, we're trying to, we're working our, our session in November, our fall summit's going to be about um, some some like empathetic listening and understanding context and like developing a toolkit for being able to understand that context and talk to these folks. Um, so it's top of mind for us, and I, I know these folks are struggling with it. But um, how are you dealing with the issue of looking at your content and looking at it through the lens of somebody who might think that this or that is part of a critical race theory um, dogma, if you will. Is that something you guys are thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. Being a company that is putting, adding, you know, giving content to on every day through news clips and articles or stories and as well as lessons, it is something we think about. Um, we have a lot of empathy for that situation, so we are choosing every story very carefully to be fact-based, accurate, balanced, right. and... But you, um, you can't censor, right? No. Nobody we, wants you, to censor. Nobody that's wants the to, tough one. Well, that's... We, we, it is up to the teacher to decide okay. what to use. Um, the students can get on and screen, or not screen, but select things, but the, t the teacher is the primary driver in this, and, and what we do, we have a content philosophy we have on our website that explains this, mm. why we choose the stories we choose and what are the filters that we put through it, but we are not using AI to choose stories, so we are ah, really okay. clear, we are three people at least are listening to the story right, yeah. and deciding, is it balanced, is it fair, is it going to be, you know, upsetting to, for one group or another, and, and um, how in, how important is it to tell this story? Why is it important to tell this story? Give the teacher the context as to why we chose the story, because it teaches some sort of aspect of, of what's in the news or what's, mm -hmm. what's in a history lesson. Um, so it is something that we, you know, we believe in, in presenting the most balanced, fact-based content. Yeah to teachers and yeah. and believe that we are doing a good job at it as, as well as we can. It's yeah. a tricky time, but I don't want to shy away from um, the news or stories that need our students need right. to learn from. Right. For example, you have to teach about January 6th, right? Exactly. And there are people saying that districts shouldn't be teaching about that, and that's that's a, it's a really difficult situation. But I'm set, what I get about ListenWise from this conversation is that districts have total control over it. Um, yeah, the people have come after Brain Pop, which yeah. is, you know, we've worked with them. Like, right, they're... Like, don't go after Moby. 
yeah. or I'm going to hurt you, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, a, who doesn't love Moby? <laughs> but uh, BrainPub actually created, I read in a recent story, they created a list, basically they, they created a section of their content library that you can turn on or off based on whether you want to include the stuff that's quote-unquote controversial or not. And I thought that was a really interesting decision by BrainPub, you know, mm. to, to sort of basically create a censorship tool. You know, I, they probably don't mm. see it that way, but... Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, the teacher is the driver, you know, on listen-wise. The teacher is the primary driver. Um, students can do searching on their own, but it's primarily a teacher tool that they can okay. decide they what to assign out to the students. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's been your favorite thing about this ASU GSV? Any good oh, sessions you heard? Seeing old friends. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I mean... Best. Having been in uh, the Learn Launch Accelerator and then the Learn Launch co-working space in Boston for many years, it shut down during the pandemic and yeah. then it shut down permanently. And I've just seen all my friends I used to work with. It was yeah. I just didn't realize it would be a nice homecoming in San Diego for, <laughs> for the Boston crew yeah. of the EdTech world. <laughs> so I've just, yeah, I've loved it. It's been great. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't go to sessions usually, but we have a few members here um, of our network who've been speaking on sessions. My favorite quote of the week was from our friend Matt Miller, Superintendent Lakota Community Schools in Ohio. Uh, he was not talking about his own district, but a colleague of his back in Ohio was saying, you know, we're not sure we're going to keep doing all this virtual learning stuff because, like, we only have, like, 4 or 5% of our kids who want to opt into it as an alternative. And he goes, how many kids you got in the football team? Probably less than 1%. You're going to kill that? <laughs> so I thought that was Interesting. a really yeah. good point, yeah. right? Um, and, you know, the, and the discussion was all around, like, giving people options, but, um, you know, not making it too complicated. So, so I actually, to, I'm mostly proud of myself I went to a session here, which I usually don't do. <laughs> I know, I have not been to one yet. <laughs> Maybe today. Maybe today I'll have time. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by, Monica. Yeah. Good luck to you and listen thanks. wise and uh, safe travels back to Boston. Thank you. It's been a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, right. I'm looking forward to following up. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm here with an education thought leader, Dr. Mark Rothschild. We're here in San Diego. How are you doing? Fantastic. I'm in San Diego. How could I be anything but? Yeah, another ASU GSV. Usually, though, we come here. You're from Chicago. I'm from New York. Usually, we come here in April when it's terrible back home, and it's really nice to be outside. Whereas now, it's like, it's pretty good back home. So, you know, here we are. <laughs> it's beautiful nevertheless. Nevertheless. Um, all right, so... Tell us what's going on at Right at School. How are things? Uh, how how did you guys survive the pandemic? How are you continuing to survive? Um, well, thanks. Uh, we are we did survive. Uh, it took uh, taking out some bank loans, uh, but you know we went from serving thirty five thousand kids a day to zero for a few weeks, and then while everybody ran online to provide services zero. online. Let me talk about, make sure people know what Right at School does and so why we, went to zero. We, we provide before and after school enrichment uh, to children in 500 schools across the nation, uh, about 40,000 children a day. And when schools closed, we are right at school, so there were no schools for us to operate in. So yeah, everything you do is in person. So. Everything. Everything we do is face-to-face, -face, social, emotional learning, development, fitness, homework, help, tutoring. And it literally stopped. Uh, the week before, we had done a fire drill. What if services stopped for two weeks? That was our big, you know, what would we right. do if that happened? Might be a pandemic. <laughs> right, that was your game. Yeah, your, but your we had game. no idea. So what we did, though, is... We decided we do face-to-face -face service, and that's what we're going to do. 
So we offered it for first responders, for teachers, children's, and schools uh, really wanted us back. So we were able to come in, and while we didn't serve the general population, we provided all day childcare and enrichment uh, for, it started as uh, first responders, it started building more and more. And, you know, that way we have 3,000 plus educators and we had to furlough a lot of them, but this way we kept jobs for so many and it kept us doing what we did. Um, and thank goodness, uh, you know, now fall registration, fall is open for many of our districts yep. and uh, children are coming back. So we're really excited. Uh, we came through bruised and now uh, we're just hoping that the school year plays out the way we all hope it will. The way we all hope it will, yeah. You must see disparity in the types of districts that are bringing kids back full time. And, you know, you know, you know right what's really sad is there's a certain thing you do when you work with younger kids in after school programs during transitions. Transitions are hard for every kid, but children who have special needs or they're very young, you, you walk them through a certain type of transition to get them to be ready for the next event. Well, now we have to do that with all children. Children are coming back not quite sure of themselves and how to engage with children of different age cohorts. So we're bringing that back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be a good year. The kids started going back in Georgia and South Carolina and places like that already. So Texas, we're up and running in Texas. Yeah, well, we wish you a great year. Something that uh, some people don't know about you is that you actually were a practicing rabbi. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Tell us about that. Um, well, I, I've been in and out of uh, business and education my whole career. And about 15 years ago, maybe it's more, but I don't want to age myself any further than that. Uh, I was uh, in an education online business, and my, my wife and I were joking over a glass of wine about what I should do next. And yeah. she said you should become a rabbi, which was really interesting because she's Lutheran, so that was interesting. And um, uh, what started as a joke began a new chapter in our lives, and the first year the program was in Jerusalem, and then we moved to Cincinnati, and it's a five-year program, so uh, that was a costly glass of wine we had. And uh, I had the great pleasure of being a hospital chaplain during that program to be a rabbi in various small communities in West Virginia and Indiana and Ohio. And upon graduation, I became CEO of uh, Jewish community centers. And uh, those are like YMCAs and whatnot. Yeah, sure, yeah. And um, I started to see after school programs. And I tutored, when I did my PhD in education, I tutored after school children. And I saw first front and center how important those programs were for the children and the parents. Yeah. And I thought, wow, what if I just brought this all together, yeah. not in any religious aspect, and just create a really top-notch after-school program. And that's how Right at School was born. Very cool. <laughs> I was actually, uh, I'm not Jewish, but I was a counselor in a JCC camp. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. All right. One of the coolest things I ever did in the summer. But uh, I didn't realize that was the connection to Right at School. Yeah. So you, how, do you, how do you get the guts to go start a company after doing that? Um, you know, uh, I think... There's a fine line between guts and stupidity. Yes. And um, <laughs> I, when I had a great idea that I would create a national program that, and hire the best educators and really build something really cool, 
I don't think I knew that there were so many programs out there. Yeah. And so if I had known, I might have been more fearful. But because I didn't know, and we got together some of the greatest, I think, educators around the country to build this, we just did it. And I hired two people, and I said, do you think we could get four schools? It was, it was uh, January, uh, a decade ago. Could we get four schools to bring us on? And they're like, we can. So uh, being an entrepreneur, I raised m money from my mother, <laughs> my brother. As all uh, great companies get started, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, it took off from there, and um, we really built something to now. Uh, really, I think this fall we should be serving about 40, 45,000 children every day in 15, 16 states. Great. Good for you. Um, <laughs> Thanks, hope, you have, hope you have the best year. What are you hoping to learn here at ASU GSV? What are your other goals? Who are you trying to catch up with? I think when you're here, you bump into people uh, in the hallways is the most exciting times, and you find out what they're up to, and it helps me think how I can strengthen uh, right at school, what other interesting technologies are out there, who's doing what, and it just keeps you on your toes and makes sure that we're all on the cutting edge and seeing what's out there. So um, uh, I think it's fun, I think it's informative, and I think it's in San Diego, which does it. Right. <laughs> now, it's, this is a, people who haven't been here, this is a great conference town. They know how to do it. Yeah. Everything's close, the airport's close. You know, it's easy to get a car to go somewhere. It's true. Right, you know, on this, everything's a marina in this part of town. So, and I like that they do this a little bit just outside of gas lamps. So you're not kind of in that. Right. You know, because that could be a little, little intense. Yes. A little yeah. touristy. Touristy, I was right. going to say that. This is just very chill here. Yeah. But we're working. We are working very hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to mask up and go do some hallway walking. I just got in, so I got to, I got to get out there and. Um, it's a little different with the masks. It is. Because uh, I don't see this crew more than once a year, usually, and then now it's been a year and a half since. And you don't recognize anybody. Right, with the mask. Right, right, right. Yeah, so. All right, well, good. Wish you guys all the best this year, and thanks for coming to see me. Thanks, I look forward to the next IEI conference. That's right, we can't wait. All right. This has been Education Thought Leaders, brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation. The superintendents, we don't have peers in our team. You can have people who support you, but no one's that's yours. Talking about shared solutions, talking about collaborating at a very, very high level. So coming here kind of gives you a little rejuvenation, that little pick-me-up. Superintendents and vendors from across the country, and that the whole exploration and development of new partnerships is critical.